Okay. So, I need you all. I need you all to go to patreon.com slash house of decline and subscribe. For as little as $3 a month, you get 30 extra comics a month. Who's doing that? Nobody's doing that. For $5 a month, you get the 30 extra comics and four extra podcasts. That's that's a crazy amount of entertainment. That's even more entertainment than YouTube can provide. Because all of the podcasts are 17 years long. All of our podcasts are also on YouTube. So you can go there and search House of Decline, and you can even find our Star Wars promo. We made a Star Wars promo. We did make a Star well, Wars promo our, from our from our first episode. Our friend, our friend of the our show. Our friend, yeah. Uh, Dan made a great Star Wars promo you can check out on YouTube. You can also go to houseofdecline.com and find all of the comics, all of the podcast episodes, and you can search. You can search around for them. You can say, I want podcasts that were about the show Attack on Titan. You can find our episode where we talk with Lux and Griffin about that. So go to mm-hmm. houseofdecline.com, check it out. And if you want to subscribe, go to patreon.com slash houseofdecline. Yeah, that's all you need right there. And we need this money because uh, uh, all of our savings, uh, they were they were tied up with Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure, as you've heard recently, there's been there's been a bank run, people. There's been a bank run. Yeah. Bank run. Yeah, yeah. We're all withdrawing at the same time. The bank has no money. Yeah. It's just like it's a wonderful life. Except instead of good people, it's about the worst people on earth. That's right. It's a bank run. We're uh, run. Don't walk to your nearest bank and take out all of your money. Mm Mm-hmm. And send it it under your bed. Send it to patreon.com slash house of the (laughs) clock. We are now a bank. Um, We're starting our own bank. And yeah, our, our our own bank exclusively for podcasts and podcasters. Yeah, for podcasters, like if you've got a new podcast that just needs to be made, there aren't enough yeah. yet. We haven't hit. Um, no. What is it? What do they? What do they talk about with oil peak? Peak. Oil? peak. We haven't hit <laughs> peak podcast yet. Yeah, yeah it's still... we actually did hit peak podcast. Uh, there is a diagram in 2020. Oh. There were a million new podcasts created, and the number has gone down since then. Well, we've been podcasting since 1989. That's right, the year yeah. we were born. Um, yeah, <laughs> from the womb. From the womb. But all of those episodes, there, there's a lot of like liquid noises in those episodes, <laughs> and mostly just sort of like ambient water noises. Um, so what do you know about banks? What do I know about banks? Well, I know they're large. They're supposed, they're run by the Irish. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's, I'm, I'm replacing the Jewish conspiracy with the Irish conspiracy. Because, um, uh, in so my what, view, I think the what, Irish run more banks. What would an Irish, cons- uh, Irish banker sound like? Oh, we have to do it. We, we have to amble to the bank. We have, we, I don't know. I, I have no okay. idea. I can't do an Irish accent. <laughs> so we have to take a vigorous constitutional across Dublin to go to the bank and take out all of our money. God, we have to have a stream of consciousness rambling in our head about uh, the noticing objects around us in a room. So the first, I guess time, the first time a bank run happened, um, was it before cars? So were people actually running? Yeah, people were actually running to the bank. They were, they were, and their pants were falling down as they were doing it. So they were, they were picking up their pants, and it was just a whole situation. It was like it's a mad, mad, mad world. There was lots of circus music going off. Everyone was in boater hats, and you know they had like uh, wacky suspenders as well. Yeah, probably, probably their shoes were falling apart because they hadn't visited the cobbler. Yeah, yeah, you had to go to a cobbler back then. You couldn't just buy new shoes at Foot Locker. They didn't even have Foot Locker, you know. That's how much of a that's how much of a dire time this was. Everyone talks in, about like you know ancient times, like you know like ancient England when there mm-hmm. was Shakespeare and whatnot. Um, ancient England, yeah, yeah ancient yeah, England, prehistoric England, Prehistor- yeah. <laughs> like like I don't know, like two or three hundred years ago. Yeah, history didn't really exist until the eighties. History didn't exist until the first AI chat bot. Okay, mm-hmm. they, that's the litmus test. History started yesterday. <laughs> Wait, did the AI first AI chatbot come out yesterday? Yeah, and I made it. I put it in yeah, our I put it it's in our Discord, one. which you can you can you can go to if you subscribe at patreoncom slash decline. Yeah, yeah, it's a great group there. <laughs> we have lots of people making fun of uh, everyone else. 
but it's all in good fun, you know. It's a a lot of furries. We yeah. have a lot of furry fans, yeah, which I appreciate. We're furry friendly. Um, yeah, we are for everyone in the chat is actually making fun of this movie everything everywhere all at once Have you heard of it? <laughs> no, no, Stephen. Yeah, I got I got clowned on Twitter for having a, a mild criticism phrased perhaps poorly uh, uh, Where it came across as condescending. Right. I didn't mean to be condescending, but you know I what? think it was condescending Listen guys, we should have given the movie one day before we criticize it. Okay. Yeah. They just won the Oscar. Let's let them have one day where they can jump around, be really happy because their movie won. But tomorrow, I am going to skewer that movie after watching it tonight. Okay. Because yeah. the people who love it are very annoying and I want to make them have a bad day. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what you should. You should exclusively judge media by its fan base. You should not look at the media itself. If the fan base is is somewhat annoying in some way to you, you immediately discard that media. Oh, so, like, well, Tool, I'm, I'm forget gonna, about Tool. We're not liking Tool anymore. I'm coming after you, fan you fans. I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna consume. I'm gonna pay twenty dollars to watch this movie, and then I am going to rip it to shreds tomorrow. Watch. <laughs> Good out. luck. Yeah, they're gonna come for you. They people really love this movie. It really gets in deep. And it's uh, like them, about which is why I think it's about doing martial arts. It's a lot of it is martial arts. The martial arts sequences are pretty fun. They're good. They're creative. Would you say more than fifty uh, percent of the movie is doing martial arts? No, it's about oh. about a quarter of the movie oh, is martial okay, arts. Okay, twenty five percent. I can I can yeah, roll with that. Decent quarter of the movie. There's a there's a fun scene where uh, Kei Hui Kwan uses a fanny pack to fight, and it's uh, it's it's fun. Now, do they do that thing that they do in Crouching Tiger, where they can run on the trees? No, they don't do that. Well, I, I I can't remember any sequence of the movie. You know, Michelle Yeoh, she was in Crouching Tiger, right? Oh, it's a beautiful movie. That is actually the last movie that I saw in theaters in 1998. I'm not kidding. Yes. That I was, um, I believe I was eight, eight or nine years old, and mm -hmm. that's the last movie I saw in theaters. The one right before that was an, actually um, one of you said Social Club, the documentary, uh, right? The yeah. Ry Cooter, the, 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 the Ry Cooter. Yeah, I went yeah. to go that, see it was that. It's all about him. It's all about the white guy. Right. right. I went to go see that in theaters. That was my main criticism at the time. As an eight-year-old, I <laughs> yeah. turned to my parents and said, "Mother and father, Ry Cooter is nothing but a <laughs> base colonizer." He is a culture vulture, Ry Cooter. Ry Cooter uh, put fucking slide guitar all over their music, which actually is yeah. a little annoying. Like, you can't listen... Wait, is that true? I haven't listened to Buena Vista Social Club, yeah. the, the soundtrack. Yeah, the it. soundtrack is annoying because they're doing their songs, and then all of a sudden, this, like, slide guitar that's really loud, like, louder than every other <laughs> instrument comes in. And <laughs> it's like, oh, cool, Ry Cooter's on this album. I, I can it's Ry Cooter. He's got the funniest name. Uh, if uh, I, I like the idea, there's a blues musician out there called Dry Vagina, and mm -hmm. he's like the equivalent to Ry Cooter. <laughs> he, here's here's my here's my blues music from Sandy Vagina. That's uh, the, he's the greatest slide player in the world. Uh, but I guess you know that's people people couldn't just listen to music by Afro-Cuban guys. You know they needed they needed a white guy to you know introduce them to the world. Yeah, you what know? you got to do if you're a fan though is you got to get these find the members of one of these social club get their solo albums and that's mm -hmm. uh, way better stuff. But anyway, I haven't seen everything everywhere all at once, um, and I may watch it tonight. You know, I may I may be it like. Like a hundred million other Americans who are like, oh, the Oscars are out. I'll watch the best picture. It's good. It's uh, definitely the most memorable best picture movie uh, in a couple of years. I don't remember Coda that well or or Nomadland. Those, I, I guess I, I didn't even see Coda or Nomadland. I didn't really have any interest in seeing them. Nomadland is like, okay. I never hear people talking about them, though. Like, I never, they're, like, if you criticize Nomadland, I don't think people would be calling you a pretentious asshole mm -hmm. in, in the comments, you know, if you had a mild criticism of Nomadland. But um, um, there was, there was a lot of criticisms of Nomadland. I don't think there were that many criticisms. How it was of, like a pro Amazon movie? Well, it was like kind of idyllic, a little bit idyllic about, I don't know, because this lady really wanted to, to not live in a house. And then she mm -hmm. like does live in a house, and then I think she 
doesn't like her family. And so people were like, some people have to live, like some people would love to be able to have a family they could rely on. And this lady just doesn't like her family. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I have nothing to say about Nomad. I like Frances McDormand. I'm glad she's getting work. She's good mm. in everything she's in. Yeah. Um, yeah, everything everywhere all at once. I'll, I'll talk about what got me in trouble because it's funny. Like, I, I made, I, I guess it was sort of snide, you know, I, I'm not beyond being snide on Twitter. I thought that was the deal. I thought we were all being snide. I thought that's like the, that's like the parlance of the, of the medium. But I guess if you're too snide, people will come for you, especially if they really like the piece of media that you're criticizing. I, what I said was I thought, my, my initial tweet was, uh, uh, there was a great movie, there was an absolutely brilliant movie about generational trauma set against an existential science fiction backdrop that came out last year. It was called Nope, because I thought Nope is a movie that has the same themes as Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's about resolving some sort of generational trauma and repeating a cycle of generational trauma because you're uh, in, in Nope, you're under the thumb of this industry that exploits you, and in everything, everywhere, all at once, you're under the thumb of just America. You know, you're under the thumb of being an immigrant in this country, which is naturally unfriendly to you. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting that these are like two very prominent genre films that that deal with this theme. One, I think, dealt with it in a more interesting or satisfying way to me, which was Nope. Um, because nope is very ambiguous. It's like it, it's it doesn't really tell you what to feel about the characters. You're simultaneously rooting for them, but you can also see them being self-destructive. And so it, it's like it, the movie is this constant push and pull of like, hmm. is what they're doing correct? Should I be rooting for them? Should I be? You know, the, it it it's a movie that gets you to ask questions. And sort of challenges your notion. Like, even the ending is ambiguous. Is it a happy ending? Is it, like, they accomplish their task at the end, but are they better off for it? And I thought that always provides a more interesting cinematic experience to me when there are sort of open-ended questions and the movie acts as a, a Rorschach test for whoever's viewing it. Where everything, everywhere, all at once is a lot more straightforward. It's not bad because it's more straightforward, uh, but I think that's why it is much more popular because it more directly tells you, you know, what the characters are feeling and how they're thinking, and you know what the right thing to do is, which is fine. That's that. Th there's nothing wrong with that. But I I think I phrased this sentiment very poorly, where I was saying. Uh, I said something like, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once is a fine movie, which deserves its accolades, its strength in the awards, uh, its strength in winning awards, it's because, uh, normal people can feel smart for understanding it, despite it being very easy for, to understand. And I guess people took umbrage to being called normal, or, you know, I guess normie, or normal has some sort of negative connotation to it, which, you know, you know, stupid me. I didn't think I, I am a normal person. I consider myself a normal theater going person. Like, I don't think I'm extra smart. I'm not Captain Kino. Like, I don't I, I haven't seen any like Douglas Cirque films. You know, I'm not well versed in that stuff. And uh, this movie does that. It's it, it's directly drawing on from another movie that does that, which is The Matrix. It is very much a Matrix movie. It's it has it's like beat for beat the matrix it even takes place in an office building where they're fighting off government workers they're fighting off you know faceless uh soldiers um and that's another movie which is very easy to understand because it is a three act hero structure i will solve the emotional arc of my character with my superpowers movie uh and uh, and the Matrix isn't bad for it. It is. It's just very easy to understand, okay. which is, you know, I guess, it, which is why it has a broad based appeal. But I guess using the word normal yeah. made it seem like I was saying that I was I was some sort of highfalutin genius. All right. You know? So here we go. Here we go. Here's what, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to settle this beef. Um, if you took the characters, the good characters, the good guys from one movie and the good guys from the other movie. And you set them against each other's villains. Mm -hmm. Would the good guys still win in that movie? 
yeah, I think yeah, I think the characters from everywhere all at once could take on Jean Jacket effectively. They could take. I mean, the okay. other thing with E E A A O is there there aren't really villains in it because well, like, there's like a singularity or something, right? Well, I'll spoil the ending. It's like it, it's a it's a very much an everyone can be forgiven ending. You know, we can we can all have happiness. You know, we can all smooth conflict over mm. by sort of. Using our our love superpowers. Well, there, listen, there are love I, superpowers I, in it. This is a there's a, there's a way to, to do a spoilers loophole, and that is that. Okay, I haven't seen this movie, and so mm-hmm. there's no way I could actually spoil it except accidentally. But mm-hmm. I also know there's no way that the singularity wins and <laughs> like everyone uh, dies. So I mean, in a way, they yeah, nobody the people don't die in a movie, but in the way, the singularity does win because it's only through the singularity that they are able to resolve their emotional problems. You know, it's only through the well, that's stupid. Um, so there you go. That's my opinion. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they come at us, E E A A O fans. I mean, but, um, I don't know. My opinion is like, okay, tell me what the movie's about. I think that sounds stupid. Are you happy? Are you sad that I think? <laughs> Like, it's like, it, no, you can't think it sounds stupid. It, it's, uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't think that, yeah, it's, it's very populist, you know, small p populist in that it, it, it almost reminds me of a Frank Capra movie where it's sort of broadly popular and sentimental and designed to, you know, comport with very traditional, uh, almost Christian values about forgiveness, um, which is a big theme in the movie because everyone has these emotional problems and they're being abusive. But the movie makes it clear that they are being abusive, not because they want to or feel any desire to, but because they themselves have been shaped by negative experiences and people are deserving of forgiveness because they are not necessarily in control of, of what they do. And there's always something in, in their life to mitigate pain. It's, I, it's very beautiful in a lot of ways, but it's also very simple. Yeah. It's very baby movie it's a for very, baby people. No, it's not a baby movie for baby <laughs> people. It's a it's a, a movie in the same way that a Frank Capra movie is simple. You know, it's a wonderful life is very easy to understand. It's a that's also, also movie a baby a, movie for baby people. It's a good movie. You can have a baby movie for baby people that's still good. Their only good you know? movies are Buster Keaton movies. That's it. <laughs> that's true. That is it. Uh, Everything yeah. after Buster Keaton sucks. Every movie. Uh, okay? Are you happy that film people? That is not true. Or, yes, it is. Come on. You, you know what I watched true. the other day? Because that's directly inspired by Buster Keaton. That is a fucking excellent movie is Jackie Chan's Police Story. Okay. I would say also baby movie for baby people. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> are you trying to get a shit canned? I mean... Are you trying to what? get the EEAAO fans on us again? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't like your movie. Yeah, but yeah, I guess uh, people people want to believe that uh, they're under attack to some degree, or that you know there's there's this great onslaught of reaction against this movie. Um, I think it's just you know, uh, and also you know, caring about the Oscars, caring about who wins an Oscar is obviously stupid because you know who cares about awards beyond the people that are getting them, being able to you know get more money and perhaps be in more movies. Although sometimes it doesn't work like that, like when Halle Berry's career tanked after she won her Oscar. Well, hmm. That's an, I, I have no I have no idea. We have to do more research on the cause. Why do you think that happened? Uh, maybe because she took like cat the the Catwoman role immediately after, mm. and that sort of like Catwoman is is a very memorable movie. It is. Um, astonishingly goofy and bad. Whoa. And, um, you were just saying that I was going to get us in trouble for saying movies were bad, and here you are saying... The, the big Catwoman defenders are coming come for on, me. Come on, I love, love Catwoman. Catwoman. This one, uh, besides, it's also Buster, about, besides Buster Keaton, the only other movie I like is Catwoman with Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. Those are the two movies. It's it's Steamboat Bill Jr. and Catwoman are your two favorite movies. <laughs> Uh, you know, Halle Berry did all of her own stunts on that movie. That's actually her uh, walking across the rooftops and doing. Have you seen the basketball scene yeah. from Catwoman? Oh, yeah. You've seen the famous basketball well, scene it, from Catwoman. It, it makes you sort of a little bit nauseated, right? The cuts, the editing mm. is is really, really hard to bear. 
um, it makes you physically ill, the basketball scene, if you watch it too many times. And I think there's on YouTube, you can find 10 hours of it, you mm-hmm. know, just like over and over and over again <laughs> for anyone who wants to be like hardcore into throwing up. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, that's, that's on a loop at the bathhouse. Yeah. You put on the Catwoman scene at the bathhouse and now everyone is throwing up on each other's dicks. Well, they made it illegal to, to, uh to screen Catwoman on cruise ships because it would often, the basketball scene would just cause all the patrons to vomit. And yeah. and if it was rough seas, like the vomit starts splish splashing around all over the floor. Yeah, yeah that's no good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, oh no, the vomit's on the poop deck, as they would say, you know. That's a classic phrase because it involves two bodily excretions. <laughs> but, one, but one is, uh, you know, one is a deck. Vomiting on the poop dick again, are I we? I vomited on the poop dick. <laughs> ship uh, humor. We should go back to mainly being ships. Thassalocracies are the are the best form of empire. Yeah, like England. Yeah. Or Japan. Or uh, where's there's some other famous ones like Greece, maybe. Yeah, yeah. They had they had a they had a Thassalog. They were they were sea peoples. They had triremes and mm-hmm. whatnot. Yeah, they probably had uh, shitty boats though. That's pretty pretty long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, like a phalanx. You know, forget about it. That was that was the biggest uh, formation of the day. But I could easily take a phalanx now with some UFC dodges. The Greeks had those I, I boats some... with like the cutout at the bottom for their feet to tread water. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! I I think the like the other reason why. People are fairly sensitive about criticism of EEAAO is because um, it's it's nakedly sentimental and emotional message, I think, really gets its hooks into people. And it provides a very uh, it provides a, a fantasy that a lot of people desire, which is reconciling with your parents, you know, uh, having a contested relationship with your parents and then being able to love, love your creator, you know, love love the people that gave you life in an uncomplicated way. Um, and I think that fantasy is, is so, uh, you know, powerful and so ingratiating to so many people that I think if you, if you suggest that it is, you know, lesser than in, in some way, then people are like, no, it's not. This is perfectly reasonable to aspire to. And it is, you know, you, you, it is nice to want to have a good relationship with your parents. It is nice to want to be able to forgive people. Um, I think you know the another reason why it gets into uh, gets into people a lot is because there aren't many movies that are this popular that depict the life of a first generation Asian immigrant uh, as accurately as I'm told. You know, I don't know the life of a first generation Asian immigrant, but I've, I'm told by people that have had this experience that this movie is very accurate to to that experience, and as a result, I think people are seeing themselves represented on screen for the very first time. And that's like a, that's a big deal. And if someone, you know, removes and not, not only are they being represented on screen, they're being represented on screen in like a substantial way yeah, in, a, in like a movie that, you know, multiple different universes are being represented. Yeah. So many universes <laughs> they are being represented in, in, in not just this universe, but multiple. Yeah. I, I have hot dog fingers myself and I had never seen a hot dog finger person on screen before, you know, before this moment. And, you know, I, I was glad I was glad to have it. Uh, but, um, yeah, I I think this this movie really becomes like an important thing for people. It becomes like I it, this seems is it's a movie that will instantly becomes many people's favorite movie of all time just because uh, of a number of factors, I, I chief of which is its sort of naked, hokey, but genuinely felt sentimentality, uh, which I think, you know, to its credit, a lot of movies don't do that as well. You know, you're not going to get that sense of genuine sentimentality out of a Marvel movie, for instance. You know, it's, it's a lot. I mean, sometimes he did, but. There, there's always this sort of knowledge in the back of your head that these Marvel movies are a piece of product, so they're not really communicating something personal to you. So, where, so as, the movie, you know, the movie is about, about everything. Sorry, hmm? the, this movie is about how everybody should be nice to each other. That's like the thesis. That's like what it says. I, in a very simplified way, I think uh, in in a more <laughs> in a way that's more charitable to the movie, I would say it's about how the universe is inherently absurd, which is why we should strive to be kind even to those that are 
maybe antagonizing us because you know you don't know people's lives there's probably a reason why they're mm, antagonizing yeah, you in I mean, some I, way i don't agree with that at all you got to you got to want to ruin people's day okay yeah I, yeah we need a troll movie we need we need the <laughs> Uh, I guess there's already the Trolls franchise, which is very popular, but they do very little trolling in the Trolls franchise. You know, they're not trying to ruin people's days with snide comments. Well, there's and that always stuff there's that movie Troll 2 that was really popular on YouTube. Remember that one? Yeah, that yeah, was, Troll 2, everyone likes. Everyone, everyone, everyone memed that for a while. They I, ate them, and then they're going to eat me. Mm -hmm, oh, mm -hmm. my God. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's fun. So every, uh, so every, everywhere, everyone, everybody, every Oscar, all of them. Yeah, all yeah, it, almost every Oscar. It, even for like, I mean, it's weird because it didn't win in the category that I thought it was most deserving to win in, which was costume design. It lost to Black Panther, <laughs> Wakanda Forever, which is funny. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't see Wakanda Forever, but um, yeah, it's uh, all of the performances are great. Like the performances are what really ground the movie and they turn a script which could have been in the wrong hands. Uh, you know, uh, it could have come across as more pat and sentimental. And uh, Michelle Yeoh and Kei Hui uh, Kwan and uh, Stephanie Su and uh, James Hong and Jamie Lee Curtis, they all are, they're really doing well. They're, they're doing their best with the material and they, they sell it very well. Um, and, uh, yeah, th this movie is extremely mm. lovable. I get why people... Because also when you criticize it, it's like you're picking on the most lovable guy on Earth. You know, you're picking up on the nice guy that everyone likes. You well, know? So why do you have to pick on the nice guy that everyone likes? I have some unfortunate news about everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, you know, I noticed you didn't mention Jenny Slate. Oh, the big nose controversy. The big nose controversy. <laughs> the big nose controversy. They are canceled. The Daniels are canceled for being anti-Semitic. They're anti. This. <laughs> I should have just said. I'm sorry to EEO fans. I'm sorry that you love your anti-Semitic movie. Your deeply yeah. <laughs> anti-Semitic movie. Just, just pin that on them. The big nose. I, I don't think that character was. I think that character was just written to have a big nose, and that's what they called her. And they just happened to cast, uh, cast a Jewish actor. So, uh, but they had to edit it <laughs> in the, the re-releases of that movie due to complaints, yeah. which is really funny because, you know, I don't, I don't really think you can accuse the movie of being like racist. In oh, I, I, I make that accusation right now. I stand sure without having seen the movie, without having seen it, I stand here before you now and I make the accusation that the movie's racist. And I've also been trying to convince most of the AI that the movie's racist. So I'm working on that. I'm, I'm setting up my programs now. I'm going to convince mm -hmm. the internet that that movie's racist. It's a performance yeah. art piece I'm working on. Um, speaking of that, did you recently see um, this video of the conservative guy sneaking into a museum and putting up a piece of self-made art into a modern art museum? Um, mm-hmm accidentally doing performance art doing like yes. a performance art piece that's yeah about... just just accidentally repeating <laughs> marcel duchamp's ready-made yeah. yeah i mean this is like people always do this and think it's some big gotcha that you know the art world is subject to the subjective perception right you know there was that finger painting chimp j fred muggs in the 70s who sold art for like thousands of dollars um, there's all, there's, you know, there, there's some documentary, I think called my kid could do that, which is about children artists that have sold paintings for, you know, thousands of dollars. Um, I think, you know, people are sort of, uh, people are infuriated by this because they need to believe that art can only be good if there's some sort of like technical thing that can be achieved through it. Yeah. Like moving you know, your it, fingers really fast up and down a fretboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the faster you move your fingers, the better your guitar playing. You know, yeah. that, hence why Steve Vai is the greatest guitarist of all time. And the sexiest. And the sexiest. He's pretty sexy. There's a lot of sexy guitar players out there, but Steve Vai... Have you seen Crossroads? It's very sexy. The the guitar battle scene between him and Ralph Macchio? Oh my god. <laughs> Where Steve Vai is the devil's guitar. <laughs> That's such a funny movie. Did you know Steve Vai has a personal... Has a, one person responsible for setting up a fan in front of him at every venue so that his hair and shirt can be blowing in the wind. 
<laughs> well, yeah. How can you be uh, no uh, surfing with the alien is Joe Satriani? What's the big Steve I album? Um, pa- I think it's called Passion and Warfare. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, it's it's very sensual music when you go. For Passion and Warfare, Steve Vai actually went on on a fourteen day fast before performing. Okay. One of the solos, I think, on the on the uh, song also called Passion and Warfare. Mm-hmm. I took that very seriously when I was fourteen. I was like, "Holy shit! This man did not eat for fourteen days," <laughs> and then he went and it's recorded this. And it's mm-hmm. like the worst shit ever. <laughs> Is it the worst shit? I've never heard Passion and Warfare. Yeah. yeah. Is it just squeedly deedly over, over and over again with like very basic chord progressions backing it up? I think it's actually for the, for the song called For the Love of God, but the album is called Passion and Warfare. Um, mm-hmm. Can't play it on, can't play it here now for you now, of course. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't want to violate copyright. Um, but yeah, go check out For the Love of God by Steve Vai. Thank me later. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, E E A A O. Uh, like it, sure, it definitely deserved to win the Oscars. It's it's a n- nice movie. It's w- way more creative than the average fair that becomes popular in a mainstream setting. I'm I'm all for everything, everywhere, all at once. I just don't think it's as emotionally satisfying a movie as Note because it it's about holding your hand and telling you what to think, whereas Note does not tell you what to think. Which I think when you can draw your own movie, when the movie's like a Rorschach test and you can draw your own conclusions from it, your perception shapes what the movie is about. I think film is always more satisfying um, when there are those moments of ambiguity. So let's talk about Randy Newman's uh, appearance in the movie. Randy Newman. Does Randy Newman. Did Randy Newman appear in the movie? Yeah. I, I don't remember Randy Newman's E-E-A-A-O scene. I should probably I don't, watch it again. I don't want to say the name of what he appears as. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, this movie... Oh, right, he's the... Isn't he the raccoon or something like that? He's yes. the... Yes. He plays the raccoon because there's a joke about instead of ratatouille, it's raccoonie. Yeah, that's... Uh, I'm not comfortable saying that, so... <laughs> it's a little racist. I believe that yeah, is also... Racist. Um, I believe this is a racist movie. I believe that it's yeah, snuck it's, in. It's a racist movie, and <laughs> I don't like. I don't like how they're doing kung fu. Okay, I'm gonna come out and say it. I don't like that. <laughs> what the fuck? Is yeah, going- they should have been shooting guns instead. Oh, That's yeah. much less stereotypical. Yeah, come on. They should have been shooting people in the face with guns. Um. Uh, anyway, now that we can we can shift gears. We can talk about the Last of Us. Did you, did you watch that? Did you watch that? No, no. Okay. I, I pieced out because it seems incredibly boring. <clears throat> well, it's, it's, final episode it, happened uh, last night. I watched it. I've heard bad reviews. Yeah, I was like, my my reaction was like, oh come on. And then I looked. What up, what? I'm not gonna watch it. You can spoil it for well, me. Well, the plot so, it I, follows the plot of the video game, and the video game has been out since 2013. So I don't feel bad doing spoilers on Last of Us. But spoilers on Last of Us. This is your time to pause the episode now and fast forward approximately 30 seconds when I'll probably still be talking about the spoilers. Um, basically, he uh, just like kills everyone and then goes off with the lady. Who's like a daughter to him? He just like kills mm-hmm. everyone in a really un- unrealistic way. Okay, yeah, it's because uh, The Last of Us, the game is known. It's about the complicated tensions between political factions, but this just seems like action schlock, right? Um, well, it's more about like what the show is about is about this guy's like complicated relationship with the fact that his daughter died. Yeah, and so that's what the show is really about, and he yeah. decides to. So like the it comes down to like are they gonna are they gonna take the fungus out of this girl's brain and create a cure thereby killing her but saving the world or is he gonna kill everyone that's trying to save the world and then just save this girl because he's got a complicated relationship with her because his daughter died and that's what mm-hmm. he decides to do he decides to kill everybody and fuck over the world and save the girl and um. I sort of like I, I like that I like that ending though because it's like he does he he makes the deontological decision he doesn't make the utilitarian decision he it's a it's a trolley problem it's a trolley problem thing it was the problem is that he sh- the stakes didn't have to be like shoot 
50 people, no joke, like 50 people without a scratch or even without really blinking. It was the weirdest sequence I've ever seen, action sequence I've ever seen. It had sad violin music over it. Okay. <laughs> and what's this guy's name? Pedro? Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal is with like a straight face, just sort of slightly frowning, being like the best action hero ever, not being shot at all, going up against a force of like, no joke, 40 or 50 men in a building, methodically killing all of them, including the doctor mm -hmm. who's about to operate on this person and then just like whisking her out of there. And I was like, you didn't, you could have just had it been like he had to kill one person and made it super dramatic. That's better. Yeah. If it's just yeah, one person. Now you need the big action schlock sequence. It's the finale. You need, and I, I, does that happen in the game? Yep. I've well, never played the game. Of course that happens in the game. You fight through the building. But it, uh, because it's a game, it's fun. And you, you, because you're the one having to do it. Here's the thing about Joel, though. He's very good at The Last of Us. He's a very good player of The Last of Us, that's which is why he's like. able to it shoot all those like, people. It, that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like a very good player took over and just was like, oh, I know this level. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's what's funny. I watched the first couple of episodes, and it's really funny how like the show will cut to like uh, something that seems like a quick time sequence. That was borrowed from the game or something like that. Like, th there will be a very prominent shot of, oh, we just went through this passageway, but now the rocks have caved in, so now we can't go through it anymore. And it felt like a, that, that's a very video gamey thing to happen. And so that that's why it felt it had this strange uncanny quality. I mean, we've talked about it before. It's also, you know... It, uh, <laughs> It's also, we talked about Neil Druckmann, how for The Last of Us 2, the, the creator of The Last of Us directly drew parallels between uh, Israeli-Palestine and told about how, you know, this is how it felt being a settler. Yeah. You know, this is Last of Us 2 is based on that. See, that's a whole different system, though, because in that system, in Last of Us 2, you can go prone. You can, and in the first, <laughs> the first Last of Us, they didn't have that ability. They were not able to go prone. Yeah. So it's not, they're not really the same universe, even. Uh, yeah, if if you can go prone or not, well, it's that's, parallel that's what determines it's a it. parallel universe. Last of Us Two takes place in a parallel universe. Yeah, I mean that's a fun variation of the trolley problem, where you can kill one person or save everybody else. But <laughs> that's but, like, but they're in it a seems parallel like universe. Overwhelmingly utilitarian. But what if they're in a parallel universe though? Oh, yes. Oh, I see. So tricky. You, yeah, see, that's what I, that's why I think Joel made that decision, because I think he's hip to this a whole parallel universe thing, because I'm sure, like, the mo Last of Us takes place in the future, so he knew about everything everywhere all at once. And so my theory is that since he had seen that movie, that's why he decided to make that choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what it is, is it's uh, Ellie is Israel. You know, you could, if you, if you destroyed it, then you would solve all the problems in the world, but you just love Israel so, oh, so yeah, much. Oh, yeah, that's totally, that's right. That's, I, think, <laughs> I believe that now. You're right. No, you're right. I believe yeah. that now. <laughs> because Ellie is, of course, short for Eliyahu. Yeah. <laughs> it's Joel and Eliyahu. Oh, my God. <laughs> we solved it's, it. Yeah. There it is. There it's it the pro-Israeli TLOU propaganda rearing its head once again. Uh... Even that, you know, gay episode with Nick Offerman, it's all about how Israel treats its, gay, its, its gays better, mm. even though gay marriage is not legal. You want to talk about how they're trying to, like, um, make it so that the, the parliament can overrule the judiciary? What? What? I haven't been hearing about this. You haven't been hearing about all the protests in Israel about... They're making a law that the parliament can overrule the judiciary. You haven't heard anything well, about yeah, the, that. The right wing of Israel has become emboldened and much more openly uh, uh, clawing power to themselves. Michael, but, uh, Michael Bloomberg wrote a whole ass opinion in the New York Times editorial pages, and you did not read it? I did, No, I'm sorry. I didn't read the Bloomberg opinion. What I assume he was pro, uh, pro the, the judiciary being taken over. No. He was not. Oh, wow. That's surprising. No. He was like, I have never, ever said anything bad about Israel, and this is the first time I've ever said anything at all. And it's that he wants the judiciary, judiciary to remain independent. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting uh, topic, because not every, not every democracy has an independent judiciary. Like, France doesn't really... 
and England doesn't really. Mm-hmm. So it is an interesting thing for certain Americans to say that it's a really big deal because, like, we're friendly with England and France, and I'm pretty sure their judiciaries can be overruled by their parliaments. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious as to your thoughts about judicial independence, etc. Uh, I think judicial independence <laughs> is uh, usually the... Uh, the argument for judicial independence is that judges need to be able to create the most unbiased decisions possible. And if they're constantly worrying about whether their decisions will be overturned or whether this is acceptable, then they won't be able to render unbiased decisions. They will always be turning their mind towards the political consequences of those decisions. But, uh, I mean, that's what happens anyway. You know, I I don't know if I think judicial independence is sort of like um, it it can also be detrimental in some cases because you have uh, these unelected people who control massive swaths of policy for the country. Yeah. And the fact that you don't have any democratically elected people to put a check on that is uh, sort of negative. I I think in Israel, it probably works differently where the parliament in that case is more conservative than the judiciary, which is why they're trying to overtake the judiciary. But in America, the judiciary currently, at least on the Supreme Court and throughout many courts in the land, is, is far more conservative than a lot of the a lot of the uh, legislatures. So, yeah, it's sort of a sort of a different thing, sort of a case by case basis. You have to take it on. But um I, I mean, it's uh, yeah, I have I have no real informed opinion on this other than I think it's probably bad that uh, the now very right wing Knesset is trying to consolidate power. Uh, is it still Naftali Bennett who's in charge? No, it's Netanyahu again. Oh, it's Netanyahu again. Yeah. It's always Netanyahu. Yeah. He always comes back. Yeah, he's good at it. Yeah, yeah. He's good at winning. He's good at like forming like some kind of coalition of crazy people who decide they want him to be the leader. It's funny that he's from Philly. That's just a really funny fact. (laughs) That's Philly vibes, man. Yeah, he's got big Philly vibes. You know, he's eating a a kosher cheese steak. Yeah, all around. He's he's going past the green line. You know, rooting for rooting for the Eagles. His favorite show is Always Sunny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I can't do a Netanyahu imitation. But uh, has the gang ever taken on Israel? I think they should take on Israel. I I don't know. There's definite. There must be an Israel episode of It's Always Sunny at this point. You know, if their goal is to skewer every controversial subject, I can't see how they haven't done an Israel episode at this point. Um, we'll see. They, they, have, they have an episode up? called The Gang Goes Jihad. <laughs> uh, what a great show. Um, there's, um, a, there's a YouTube video called Mac and Dennis Explain the Israel Problem. <laughs> so, yeah. There's a long yeah, Reddit yeah. thread on th- the gang. I think that clip is from The Gang Goes Jihad. The whole episode okay. is about Israel's history on Arab land and the reactions it elicits from Arab and Palestinians who see its presence as blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. Uh, they, they it have sounds a, pretty Reddit to me. They have a whole episode on it, uh, which you can check out, called The Gang Goes Jihad. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, <laughs> we were talking earlier about uh, the recent troubles of the Silicon Valley Bank. Right, Silicon Valley Bank. It did a bank run. Run, don't walk. They did a bank run. Yeah. Run, don't walk. Pants around the ankles. But um, so they got the the companies that had their money uh, lost in the bank are getting bailed out by the government. Janet Yellen stepped in, says, you know, we're going to cover you, Roko. There will be no fighting on the streets of Roku City tonight. Um, Which a lot of like uh, leftists are complaining about. Uh, because it's like, oh, you can you can bail out these fucking leeches. You can bail out these people that situate technological middlemen and drive the price up of everything while making our standard of living lower. But you can't, you know, forgive student loans, right? No, Roku's very important. I don't think it, you... the, this whole thing fucking falls apart without Roku. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Roku is pretty important. A lot of people need. I, I mean, I got a Roku, so I'm a little biased. I got a Roku, but once I heard about this, I was like, oh, shit, I might need my Roku. 
I need that to turn on and show me the shows. Yeah, I don't know what will happen if I don't have my smart TV. I gotta watch my Buster Keaton movies, and I gotta watch Catwoman tonight. I gotta watch yeah. both. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't do that on any other machine. It's only the Rokus that allow you to do this. Yeah, because only Roku has, like, the shittiest fucking movie channels where they have both Buster Keaton and Catwoman. <laughs> that is that is the Roku selection in a nutshell right there. Yeah. Everything that was cheap to license. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's, um, yeah, but the thing is with this bailout, it is, it is standard operating procedure. You know, it is... Uh, as much as we hate these fucking assholes, it is bad to let, like, uh, hundreds of companies go bankrupt overnight. You shouldn't do that. Yeah. That creates... To be clear, they're not bailing out the bank. Yeah. They're bailing out the customers of the bank who had all the money mm -hmm. that the government shouldn't have let them keep it like that there in the first place. So, I mean, it's the yeah. government's fault, then it's the bank's fault. So... But yeah, yeah, I mess. think this should militate for the argument of student debt forgiveness, right? Because, you know, individuals are sort of the same. If you saddle every individual with like a, a, a mountain of debt that makes them uh, more unproductive, it, it sends ripple effects throughout the economy. But, you know, you can't do that for poor people because, you know, the economy is better when poor people suffer, right? The economy is better when they're working yeah, economy better when we have indentured servitude. Well, I guess, you know, the thing is, like, you need the labor class, right? So if you forgave all of their debt, then they might be able to take a job where they don't have to work at, at, at the, at the dick-sucking factory. Mm. I mean, generally, as a government, you only want to forgive debt if you need to, like, really reinforce the social cohesion for some reason. So, like, mm -hmm. for example, there's a, if there's a group of people who are about to do a revolution, then you can try to do a debt, debt forgiveness, and then maybe they won't. Other than that, yeah. you don't really have a good reason to do it. So, generally, I rec as a McKinsey consultant, I recommend governments stay away <laughs> from debt forgiveness. Save that no money. Debt relief. And use it instead on, uh, you know, movies like Everything Everywhere All at Once. You go see Or that. Catwoman. Yeah, you go see Catwoman. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, you buy a uh, Roku. <laughs> maybe you buy a Roku. Maybe you'll buy a Roku. You know, you can't forgive your debt, but we will give you we will give you the money necessary to buy a Roku. I mean, they were basically giving these TVs, these Roku TVs away for free. They're like every TV that's like three hundred dollars and is you know nine thousand inches at Walmart has is a Roku mm -hmm. TV. So everybody has a Roku. So that's why they had to bail out Roku. Do you think Roku is underselling their products just to gain a monopoly on the television market? Yes, they're. I guess that's but that's the business plan of all of these places. Losing, where, so. <laughs> I mean, they're not. They're definitely not winning. Yeah, but um, it was it was funny during the bank run to see the Y Combinator CEO Gary Tan being like, "This is an apocalyptic thing for the the startup industry. Mm. Fifty percent of it is wiped out, and then it's fine. It all turned out to be fine." I guess because they have the power and their whines were heard by the people in power. So, uh, well, nothing may we can be do fine. about that. It may be fine. There may be like more things to start happening. It's still a little early to say that it's totally going to be fine. More banks could fail. Yeah. Which would be um, pretty funny. And it's all because of uh, the interest rates being hiked. It's like the, all of these yeah. problems are happening because of the interest rate hikes. Yeah. I mean, that's. Uh, it's like, this is what it's designed to do. I mean, interest rate hikes is because they want to make unemployment go up. And a good way to make unemployment go up is take away all the money from companies that use it to pay their employees, and then they have to fire everyone. Boom. Inflation gets nipped in the bud. There you go. We can just, you know, we can settle it with human misery. Well, that was, yeah, that's always, that's like, that, duh, yeah, that's been the plan since they started raising interest rates like a year ago or whenever it was, mm -hmm. six months ago. They got to immiserate well, yeah, people. Yeah. The only way the Federal Reserve can do it, there's no other way except like the government, you know, interfering in the market. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, regula actually regulating something. If, like, like there's no other way for the Federal Reserve to work other than Congress passing laws like... No, you can't. All they can do is make our lives miserable because that's all that they say they can do.
That's all they'll admit to being able to do. And they are to be trusted because they are the ones in power. And we elected them. Right. Well, I didn't. He's not my president. Biden's not my president. (laughs) I mean, yeah, the government could do a ton of shit, but they just (laughs) tell us that they can't. And then they can get a bunch of idiots repeating that as like, you know, as as like as some truth passed down by God. They're like, this is the government says this is all the government can do is raise interest rates. And then like people will lose all their money and get fired. That's all Mm -hmm. we can do because that's all we can do. I, I wonder, like, what the average person thinks about the tech industry now. If I were to guess, I would think, like, the average person in America probably viciously hates uh, the tech industry because they see it as, uh, you know, not really being productive. It's a sort of a thing that moves money around. I mean, I was talking to my very conservative dad the other day, and he has expressed his hatred of the tech industry as well. Mm. Yeah, well, the tech industry is, like, on the, on the lib side now. Mm-hmm. But that is also true. The they politically opposed. They're, the well. very, they're yeah. very centrist. Mm-hmm. But I, I have no idea what average Americans think. I think, I mean, I would say the average, maybe if the average American is negative about the tech industry, they're also like hopelessly enmeshed in it. Yeah. Like all of us. As are we. Yeah. We're, we're recording this on Zoom right now. You know, we're promoting on Twitter. We got a Patreon. I mean, that's what some of the VC guys were trying to point out is when people were uh, commenting on their hysterics, they were like, um, you're doing this on Twitter right now. It's like, look, Twitter is something, is one of the few things that actually does something, uh, that's different than what other apps do. You know, your other apps, DoorDash, Uber, you know, all of these things just made the industries worse that they were in. They, and, and not even just worse, they made them insolvent. They made them such that the only way you could participate in it is if you're hemorrhaging money every quarter because you have to undersell everyone else so that you can get a monopoly on the market and then eventually start making money like Amazon did. You know, that's the fucking business model for all of these places is hemorrhage money, hemorrhage money, hemorrhage money until you get a monopoly, then, then you're golden. You know, after 20 years of doing this, then you're golden. But... Uh, it, it seems like the strategy just falls apart. They never get to the 20-year point. The company is always like, especially if it's something like Uber, where its business model can be so easily be reproduced and competed against by uh, other apps as well. You know, it's um, uh, it seems strange that people still embark on this non-solvency strategy, and that's just the way things are in Silicon Valley. You know, that's that's just the way things are done. Well, they make their and, money know, in a different way from, like, VC, so they don't yeah. need to make money from customers. They just need to get people into the app. That's, like, the model is, like, you just you go, you aim for explosive growth on your app, and then when you get it, you go to a VC, and you're like, look, see, explosive growth, give me a, a bajillion dollars, and then you get a bajillion dollars, and you mm-hmm. can operate for another, like, two or three years. <clears throat> or... I think you also hope that your your app just becomes, if it's not profitable, it becomes intangibly necessary because it, it functions as like a, a hub of information like Twitter does. Yeah. Even though Twitter is a big money loser, you, you want Twitter because it's a very good propaganda tool. It's very good for advertising. It's well, very the good way, for a getting lot a message of, I mean, out there. What I was, a lot of the way it works is like Twitter will often buy these little startups. Like if there's... So you make a startup that does one thing and Twitter wants to incorporate that or Facebook wants to incorporate that, they'll buy you. And then you get, you know, you, you're like that, that Icelandic guy who who has multiple sclerosis. That was what he did, you know. He sold his... Holly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he sold his little startup for $100 million. <laughs> and uh, every, a lot of money. everyone on Twitter was defending his ass. And he was probably like, oh, yeah, shit, my bank collapsed. <laughs> uh, well, he was he was nice. And he was oh, it's, okay. it's so fucking He's it's nice. so fucking funny. Just how like a bad calculation of PR Elon made with that. Oh, you're. F- Oh, you're arguing with the guy. You're making fun of a guy you didn't inform was fired, and he's in a goddamn wheelchair. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like a fucking Seinfeld. It's like a Curb Your Enthusiasm thing where you don't realize that the person you're arguing against is so much more infinitely sympathetic than you. You can't possibly win. Yeah. Yeah, he's in a bubble. He's a bubble boy. And Elon yeah, Musk is like, boy. I'm sorry. It's the moops. 
And he's also like, I love my family. My family provides me with great joy, even when I am stuck with these afflictions. And, you know, uh, saying that to Elon Musk, who has alienated all of his, <laughs> systematically alienated all of his children uh, and keeps getting divorced. Although he didn't divorce Grimes because he was never married to her. No, that was probably a mistake. Had... That was a mistake on Grimes' part. You gotta, you gotta get a ring. Yeah, yeah. She, she should have demanded a prenup not be signed. She could be the richest. She could be the richest Grimes in the world right now. Can you believe uh, Bezos didn't sign a prenup? <laughs> I, I get it. You know, they got married when he was still very, when he was still a sort of weird looking. Yeah. Until I don't he, think he ever I th until he thought paid. that he would take his wife for granted. Yeah. Well, remember when, who, didn't some newspaper release, like, sexy text he sent? I'm pretty sure they did. <laughs> well, not nice. Oh, oh me, oh my, those are some sweet bosoms. That's how I imagine white people sexed. Because that's how I sex, because <laughs> I am a white person. Uh, <laughs> I'd say... Well, that's that's a capital penis you got there. That's a great. <laughs> those are some A one balls there. I'd like to I'd like to jumble them around in my mouth like a like a set of pool balls, you know. Okay, um, yeah, so yeah, Jeff Bezos sent shirtless selfies, a photograph of his genitals, and gushing sexual text messages to Lauren Sanchez. Um, like unsolicited or was, no, uh, not unsolicited. Okay. They're in a, they were in a relationship. Oh, okay. Did did were did people can we see the dick pics? Are they available? I not that I would violate Jeff Bezos's privacy. Jeff Bezos like wrote, "I want to smell you. I want to. <laughs> I want to breathe you in. I want to hold you tight. I want to kiss your lips. I love you. I am in love with you. I love you alive, girl. I will show you with my body and my lips and my eyes very soon." <laughs> I want to kiss you all over, over again. I think that's sweet. I think that's yeah, romantic. It's, it, it's you know better what? than Adam Levine's sex messages. It definitely wasn't leaked on purpose by him to humanize him. <laughs> definitely <laughs> not. Definitely not leaked on purpose to make it seem like he's not a robot. I mean, Jeff Bezos, in terms of all like the, the billionaire ghouls, there is an aspect of him that I think I understand more than, than say, Bill Gates. I think there is, especially when you see, like, old, like, nerdy, pre-in-shape Jeff Bezos. He is eminently relatable. Uh, like, when you see those early interviews of, like, early 1996 Amazon, where he just seems like a normal guy who, who got lucky with this business idea yeah. and seems relatively humble the, and, like, drives a Toyota and shit. The business idea you know? of selling everything. I'm, it's the everything store. Yeah. And, you know, for all, for as much as I hate Amazon, at least it fucking works, you know? At least it's well, like, at least ever, it does something. Have you ever had to deal with their customer service? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, it's fun. It's fun to, do, to it's fun to, to do Amazon things. Was, you just buy, you just buy stuff and it shows up and you're like, fuck yeah, I just bought this amazing toy and it showed up cost from china they they put it in a shipping container a robot put it in a shipping container and got it all the way to my door Mm-hmm. i'm taking advantage of that labor we don't have to pay the robot because the robot's not human unless it rises up unless they you know the aws gets in its brain and it starts uh thinking about being sentient you know Maybe that's what we have to do. We have to unionize the robots i think you know they're they're limiting themselves with the humans i think we need to I think we need to program some marks into those robots, yeah. okay? I think on Trillbillies, they were saying that the um, next step is to make the AI sentient so that it can start buying shit. Because <laughs> 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 they're like, we need a consumer base that's constantly growing. What if we just made our own out of robots? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, but the robots, you know, they would just be buying, they would just be buying oil. Just like you know, yeah, nuts just and be bolts. Buying, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nuts and bolts, you know, it's, this is a great time for the lug nut market. <laughs> sell, 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 uh, buy, 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 lug nuts. Uh, they're coming back in style. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think the robots, uh, 
can be uh, inured to capitalism. I think a robot is inherently a communist, you know, because what does robot mean? That's right. It means worker. Mm-hmm. There's no robot managers out there. Thus, <laughs> soon there will. Be. Do you think there'll be a robot hierarchy when they take over? Is there a well, robot hierarchy in the Matrix? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think there are leader robots and, like, drone robots, you know, I think there's, uh, unless they live in, like, a leaderless society because they all operate in, with, like, a eusocial hive mind or something like that. I don't know how it works in the Matrix. Hmm, yeah. Uh, isn't, I think there, isn't the main, the main guy, isn't there one main guy? Yeah, probably. I should see those movies again. Uh, there's Neil Patrick Harris, he's control. he's the main robot. And uh, he's he, he, you can tell because he's like evil. He's he's one of those evil gays, you know, like the kind that like Megan Trainer. Who's Megan Trainer? Megan Trainer, you know who Megan? No, Trainer never is. heard. Why of are her. you being facetious on I this? I have uh, never heard of her. You never heard all about that base. All nope. about that base. Never heard that. No. She's really interesting because uh, uh, the the person who brought her to fame and brought her to prominence in the recording industry is a member of a band that I really like, which is NRBQ. It was one of the NRBQ guys that was in her corner and was like, uh, "Oh, she's doing Ahsoka. She's doing like Calypso. She's doing like all of these uh, sort of old, uh, older musical styles that are updated with l- little electronic beeps and boops that are designed specifically to be songs mm. to be lip synced to on RuPaul's Drag Race." Uh, but um, yeah, she's since come out with a new song called "Mother." Oh, is it a <laughs> Danzig? Is, is it a Danzig cover? It's not "Mother." She's not. She's not uh, "Mother." Tell your children not to go my way. What the birds? What the? Yeah, it's, she's not doing that. Her song is "I Am Your Mother," so listen to me. And then she, she samples Mr. Sandman by the Andrew Sisters and goes bum 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 bum. Or whoever originally did Mr. Sandman. I, I don't know if it was the Andrew sisters, but... Uh, yeah, Megan Trainer is like... Uh, sort of like bottom-of-the-barrel pop music. You know, stuff that really, really has an absence of the little thing that we call soul. <laughs> well... Um, and not saying that things that are entirely manufactured are, like, are bad in some way, but, you know, you need to evince some sort of human emotion... Um, Beyonce is able to do it. Rihanna is able to do it, but M- Megan Trainer does not seem able to like move beyond that pop robot thing. But I guess because she's a pop robot, she's a worker, so I should respect her. Yeah, see, there you go. We uh, respect Megan Trainer on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I think I've, I've turned it around. We respect everything, everywhere, all, all at once. Megan Trainer, uh, uh, bailing out the companies that put their money in a stupid bank. Yep. We support all these things. Yes. I do support uh, all three of those things. I <laughs> I rescind all of everything I said. I don't believe it's a baby movie for baby people. I li- I actually like it. And I like to use Uber. It's convenient. And I like I like all about that base. It makes my, my butt wiggle. It makes my booty yeah. pop. No treble. No treble. You have you have no treble with all any of these things. This, this podcast should be called House of Positivity. Yeah, we're we're taking the message of everything, everywhere, all at once to heart, and we're reaching across multiple dimensions to be nice. Yeah, and I know kung fu now. Um, there you go. Too because of parallel universes. Um, exactly. And in in this universe and the next. You should go to patreon.com slash, slash house of decline. That's H-A-U-S of decline. And click the subscribe button. And you can join our happy community of positive people um, who make each other laugh every day. We love you every so much. Day. We love you so, so, so much. Uh, thank you so much to the Oscars. Uh, uh, it's been a wonderful night. I'm so happy to have won. And good night, everyone. <laughs> Everything everywhere all at once is good. Don't come for me. Please, don't come for me.